As I was uh, praying and thinking about what the Lord is doing in our midst here regarding to the vision for evangelism, outreach ministry, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 just came to my mind a few weeks ago, and I keep reading and um, thinking, reflecting about this word, and, and that's the reason why I, I'm bringing this word today, because it's just an encouraging word for us. And there are, there are two things, at least, that scare people in church when we talk about. One is sex, and another is evangelism. People, and that's normal. It's a fear. We always be there, you know. And so I thought about 2 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 4. So, uh, and here, what's going on here, just a little bit of the background, is that some false uh, prophets, uh, teachers, were arrived uh, at uh, Corinth, and between Paul's uh, second and, and third final visit, and these were uh, Greek-speaking um, Jews who were claiming to be apostles like Paul, ministers of Christ, and, and they have infiltrated, invaded the ranks of uh, the church to promote their, their, their own vision, a kind of a Jewish Christianity vision, while uh, discrediting Paul, questioning his authority and, and his apostleship, especially because of Paul's appearance, lack of speech, you know, a, a broken English like mine. <laughs> they were just challenging Paul, saying, hey, listen, this guy, look at him, look at how he speaks. It doesn't, doesn't fit in, in the gospel ministry. So, and, and, and what we want to see here in our text is, is how Paul answers uh, his opponent's assertion of his inadequacy in ministry. And, and, and as we see Paul's answer, Paul, Paul is going to uh, basically says, uh, say that uh, since Christ, Christ himself, has endured suffering all the way to death, since Christ uh, rose again on our behalf, Paul is going to say that in Christ, our weakness and suffering, failures, inadequacies present no barrier to the gospel at all, but rather they are means, means by which the gospel can extend to more and more people for the glory of God. That's uh, the basic message here. And I, I really want at least for you to take this home. Since Christ has endured suffering all the way to death and rose again in our behalf, in Him our weakness and suffering present no barrier to the gospel, but rather are means by which grace extends to more and more people to the glory of God. And as we apply this text um, to our vision of evangelism, I want to pose, uh, pose some, some questions here. What is the relationship between our weakness and, and the advancement of the gospel? The relationship between our suffering and the life of Jesus conveyed to others. And the relationship between faith and evangelism. So let's turn to our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 15. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show 
that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Always carry in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed, so I spoke, we also believe, and we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus, who raised us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it's all for you, for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Let's ask God's blessing. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you again for bringing us here to feed our souls and it is a, a difficult topic to, for us to consider when you think about weakness and inadequacies. So would you encourage us this morning to see the beauty of Jesus in this text, the resource that we have in Christ, oh Lord? Would you help me to convey the treasure, the gospel this morning? By the power of your Holy Spirit, we ask you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. It's always hard to come with an illustration to make a point, you know, but I'll try. Fathers, imagine that your, your 16 years old son or daughter um, just shows up uh, driving a Ferrari in your neighborhood. I know it's hard to conceive. <laughs> But uh, imagine that, and, and you were told by your kid that someone, somehow, for some reason, have just entrusted this Ferrari to your kid to take care of it. How would you feel, your kid, taking care of a Ferrari? I, I don't know how would you feel, I, I don't know your kid. Perhaps your kids have a, a high level of responsibility, but uh, personally, I was sharing this with Milana. I say, listen, that's not going to work. <laughs> really. That, that's, uh, I, look at your room. <laughs> <laughs> uh, really, that's not going to work at all. You're just a kid. I mean, can, can't you see the discrepancy between this Ferrari and you? And I mean, and out of love, I would say that, you know? And, and that's basically what Paul's opponents are doing. Of course, with a different motive. They want to shame Paul. They want to steal his flock. But they're basically saying the same thing. They were trying to discredit Paul's authority by pointing to his inadequacy, to shame him, and to take over the flock. And apparently, they were asking 
Almost the same question. How can, a, how can such a worthless vassal claim to be the agent of a glorious gospel? No, that cannot, that cannot be. So as we turn to our first point, you can see in your bulletin, God's power and wisdom in the midst of our weakness. See how in his own words, Paul echoes his opponent's assertion that those assertions that, that there are evidences that those uh, uh, false uh, prophets, teachers, were using to shame Paul, to show Paul's inferiority to them. In verse 7, Paul says, as he's responding, his opponent's assertions. Verse 7, but we have this treasure in jars of clay. I generally do not respond criticism as Paul is doing here. I don't know about you. But basically what Paul is doing here, he's agreeing with his opponents. You know, you're right. I'm just a worthless vessel. Correct. You're, you're right. Paul agrees with his opponents. And yet, Paul does not deny the reality that it is God who is entrusting such a treasure to him. So what is the treasure? The treasure here in question, verse 4, is the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus. Verse 6 is the light of the knowledge of the glory of God displayed in the face of Jesus. It is the gospel itself. It is the saving and rescuing kingdom of God, as Jesus himself said in Matthew 13, verse 44. Jesus says, you know, it's a, a man found a treasure, and in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field just because of the treasure, which represents the kingdom of God. And then Paul contrasts this treasure with earthen vessels. So Paul is implying here by these uh, earthen vessels something very fragile, inferior, expendable, prone to break, easily chipped, cracked, that offers no protection whatsoever unless for dust. And, and that's it's just underscore our weakness and inadequacy when comparing to the treasure, to the greatness, to the richness of the gospel, the divine knowledge. And at the same time, Paul wants to, for us to comprehend, to understand, and behold God's power and wisdom as God himself entrusts his treasure to us. So God's power is, is very explicitly in our text. Paul says, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Now God's wisdom is implied in Paul's theology. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians, it seems that there are people questioning the gospel as foolish. And Paul speaks about Christ as the wisdom and power of God. Verse 18, for the, word of, for the word of the cross, the gospel is fully to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And then in verses 
verse 20, uh, 24, Paul says that for anyone, for both Greeks and Jews, for anyone, Christ is the power and wisdom of God. Christ is the saving and the saving power and the saving wisdom for anyone. So by entrusting his priceless treasure, the gospel chores, earthen vessels, cracked pots, God is manifesting his saving power and wisdom to the world, even in the midst of our weakness. But how does it apply to evangelism and outreach ministry? Well, think about our sense of inadequacy and fear when when we just think about evangelism, we don't need to go out to, to start fearing. <laughs> just about thinking of evangelism, we already start to fear. And I feel the same. I was at Starbucks a few weeks ago, and we had two elderly women discussing about uh, LGBT movement. And they were upset because uh, it seems that they, they support and, and the church is going against somehow. And I was hearing, it was like, I'm afraid to jump into this conversation, but I think I should. And suddenly I say, hey, can I, can I get inside this conversation? And they looked at me, who are you? Oh, my name is Eric. Oh, yeah, welcome. Join us. And we took two hours talking about different topics. And after two hours, we were planning into a study book. So, but, but fear was there for me. Somehow God, by by his power, just helped me to overcome my fear. So when think about evangelism, fear, inadequacy. Now, just imagine, today is the imagine day. So just imagine that God today is going to call you to go uh, to a place, uh, to a cemetery, to pray for someone to be raised from the dead. You pray for someone to be raised from the dead. How would you feel? Or whom would you take with you? Don't take me, please. Don't choose me. Paul? Well, Paul himself felt inadequate sometimes, afraid of sharing the gospel. When he first came to Corinth, fear almost overtook him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ, the treasure. And then he goes on to speak about the vessel, about himself. He says, I came to you in weakness, in fear, and with much trembling. So forget about Paul. Don't choose Paul. Because he's just like us. So, now if you, you would feel afraid and powerless about praying for someone to be raised from the dead, I need to say to you, welcome to the club. Because that's exactly how you should feel. If you think biblically and seriously what God wants to accomplish through evangelism, we are facing the same reality. We are going out to speak into dead people's life to bring them from spiritual death to life. So who, whom would you take with you? Or what? When it comes to evangelism, I think we are, I think I'm sure we are in a similar position as the prophet Ezekiel was when he, he was caught up in the vision of the valley of the dry bones. 
Those dry bones representing the covenant people, God's people. And in Ezekiel 37, we are told that Ezekiel saw himself standing in this valley. And he was ordered by Yahweh, by the Lord, to prophesy, to speak to the dry bones that they would come to life. So when Ezekiel speaks the word of God, the gospel, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comes along and brings life to those dry bones. Friends, the same thrilling calls is still needed in a world that has dry bones everywhere. That's what you see when you go outside. Dry bones, dead people, spiritually speaking. And we have been called to speak in their lives under the same power, the resurrection power. That's what Paul says in verse 14. That's the reason, because he who has raised the Lord Jesus, he's going to raise us and bring us into his presence. That's the resource when you talk, when I think about my fear of going out and doing evangelism. I'm not going my own. I'm going the power of the resurrection. So for Paul, God provides power in the midst of our weakness, but also provides the life of Jesus in the midst of our suffering. Let's turn to our second point. Look at verses 10 to, through 12. And, and first, notice that suffering is not atypical for Christians, much, much less for those who are engaging the gospel ministry. It is not uh, suffering, it's not even a matter of occasionally suffering for a period of time and then being delivered and set free from suffering. Paul is saying here that always caring, always carrying the body, the death of Jesus, always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake. You see, there is a sort of pattern here of believing, speaking, suffering, which is inescapable. This is what it looks like. You go out to speak the gospel, to share the gospel, which in turn brings, brings affliction, which then produces in us greater faith, which in turn creates greater boldness for witness, which then brings more affliction. Inescapable. Second, see how Paul characterizes the whole of his suffering in the gospel ministry Christologically. In other words, Paul understands his suffering in light of Christ's suffering. Like it says in verse 10, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So Paul sees his suffering in gospel, meaning a lot of the suffering that Christ had in his own ministry. Also, see in verse 11, Paul intentionally uses the verb paragidomai, which is also used for the handling over of Jesus to death. Verse 11, for, for we who live are always being given over to the death of Jesus, for the sake of Jesus. And Paul uses this verb even in the passive form. For Paul firmly believed that God's purpose lies behind his suffering. 
That is to bring life to others. But you may say, well, I got, um, but I don't know. I just don't know. Understanding my suffering in light of Christ's suffering neither changed the reality of my suffering nor its pain. And I would say, yes, uh, in one hand, you're right. It doesn't change the reality of your pain. But on the other hand, it does change the reality of your suffering. Otherwise, all the benefits that we have in our union with Christ would be gone. You'd be compromised. Think about our resurrection. Now, think about the suffering of unsaved people. Their suffering, in a sense, is just purposeless. There is no high dignity attached to them. Their suffering, while on this earth, is only a foretaste of the pains and torments of hell to be endured forever. But not so the Christians, the suffering of the Christians. We, when we suffer for Christ, we are told that it is because of our union with Christ. That's what Paul says in Romans 6, verse 3. For we have been baptized into Christ's death. But not only into Christ's death, but also in his resurrection. For we have been united with him in a death like his. For, for if we have been united in a death like, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. You see, what changes the reality of our suffering in gospel ministry and compels us to share the gospel is the suffering of Christ, but also the resurrection of Christ. Later on in 2 Corinthians, Paul chapter 13, verse 4 says the same thing. For to be sure, he, Christ, was crucified in weakness, in weakness, yet he lives by God's power. Likewise, we are weak in him, yet by God's power, we live with him in our dealing with you, in our ministry with you. That's such an encouraging thing to hear today. As the elders stepped to, to labor here, deacons, they are stepping in the same power, with the same power. As we think about gospel ministry in general, as you go and be a teacher in a Sunday school, as you raise your kids, you do so under the power of God. Here's what concerns Paul. If the Corinthians embrace the false idea that says that our weakness and failures and suffering cannot go hand in hand with God's power in life, it would suggest that they fail altogether to grasp the meaning of the cross, the meaning behind the suffering of Christ. One commentator says, Speaking about the logic behind Paul's thinking, quote, If God's definitive salvific act occurred through the weakness of the crucified Jesus, then it should be no surprise that the saving gospel of the crucified Jesus should, be reach, should reach the Gentiles through the weakness of his apostles. 
the Corinthians should not be surprised to see God at work through Paul's weakness and suffering because he's just following Jesus' steps. Verse 12, so death is at work in us, but life in you. And it, it is obvious that Paul does not understand his suffering, his suffering as benefiting the Corinthian in a salvific way as the suffering of Jesus, which atoned for our sins. But because Paul is no longer self-concerned, self-indulgent, self but rather self-emptying like Christ, his suffering is producing the life of Christ. It's conveying the life of Christ to others. And as long as Paul keeps embracing the process of dying, that's the Greek word for death here. It's a process of dying Christ. And as he keeps doing so, dying for his reputation, comfort, pleasures, preference to share the gospel, his physical Suffering, his physical loss will bring spiritual gain, eternal life to others. And that's the kingdom, the kingdom's way. That's how the, the gospel calls us to, to follow. In John chapter 12, when Jesus was speaking about himself as a grain, kernel of wheat, he said that if he did not die, he would remain alone. He would enjoy the glorious of heaven alone by himself. But if he died, he would provide a way of salvation for many saved sinners to share his glory. And dear Carson, New Testament scholar, understand that this is so applicable, applicable to us as well. He says, the unique and redemptive sacrifice of Christ in a slightly different way is properly applied to all Jesus' followers. It's applicable to us. So Carson's implications is that if we refuse to be grain kernel of wheat, falling to the ground, dying, if we will neither sacrifice our friendship, prospect, health, comfort zone, break family ties for Christ's sake, then we shall remain unfruitful. But if we wish to be fruitful in God's kingdom, we must follow Jesus' example. By becoming a grain of wheat and die, and then we shall bring forth much fruit. And of course, as we engage in gospel ministry, evangelism, sacrifices will look different for each of us. But at the end, God's going to use it. Christ is going to use it to produce the fruits of eternal life. And this is what Paul believes. And so he speaks. And as we move to our final point, let us consider the question, what is the relationship, relationship between faith and evangelism? Look at verse 13. Paul says, Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed, and so I spoke. We also believe, and so we speak. So here's the answer for the relationship between faith and evangelism. And see that now Paul takes to another level. He understands that we as a vessel, we not only contain, but also convey the message. 
Precisely because the same message has already moved our own hearts. That's what Paul is saying. I believe, that's why I speak. I believe first, and now I'm speaking. If I didn't believe, I would probably not speak, not go and risk anything to share it. But because I believe, I speak. If I didn't, I would probably shut down very easy, easily. But I do believe, I do believe. And maybe sometimes that's the problem with the church. I do understand, and, and we need to consider in so many ways in terms of Methodists and how we're going to approach people, finding common grounds, yes. But at the end, we are moved by faith. That's what Paul is saying here. Saying here. And that's the problem. We are told that we should go and share our faith. We are told that Jesus has many other sheep which are not right now here at the church. We are told that Jesus is being prayed for our evangelism. We are told that people cannot believe without hearing. We are told that people are going to hell without the gospel. But sometimes we are not so sure if we believe it. Or we are not so sure that we believe that the gospel works for others. We do believe that the gospel works for us. That's why we are here. But I'm wondering if sometimes the reason we are not there is because we don't believe so much that the gospel can do the same for others. So Paul is saying here that there is a relationship between believing and witnessing faith and evangelism. As John Cobb says, faith is the mother of confession. That's where everything starts. On the flip side, there is a serious relationship between unbelief and apathy, indifference towards evangelism. Isn't it interesting that when we speak about our struggling, struggle with evangelizing, we go pointing to our lack of knowledge as if we don't have enough, our lack of experience, as if we can't get any without practicing. We point to our personality, and the list just goes on. And we never point to our faith. And Paul does point to his faith. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation of everyone who believes. Paul believed. That's why he speak. So when it comes to evangelism and faith, faith produces a deep, effectual embracing of Jesus' love for the lost as we ourselves treasure the gospel. Goes together. As we treasure the gospel, our affection, affections change for the lost people. Jesus' preference becomes our preference Jesus' love for people become, becomes our love. Jesus' lost sheep become our lost sheep. Paul's logic is very simple, brothers and sisters. If we believe, we should speak. And that's not hard to understand. Payne Gillette is an American magician, actor, musician, inventor, television personality, and author. You might have heard about him and his fellow musician, Taylor. He has been a spotlight 
as a passionate advocate for atheism. He has even written a New York Times bestseller titled, God, No. Signs you may already be an atheist in other magical tales. But a few years ago, a man who had participated in one of his acts as an audience member came to pain to share the gospel, to really tell him that, hey, if you don't believe, you're going to hell. And this man brought up a small book, the New Testament and the Psalms. And he said to pain, hey, I want you to have this. I really believe that if you don't believe, you're going to hell. And I'm not crazy. I'm a businessman. I just care for you. A few weeks later, Penn recorded a short video about this incident, saying how much he was moved by these guys' gesture. Penn says, quote, He was kind and nice, a sane man. He looked in my eyes and he talked to me. And then he gave me this Bible. I have always said, Penn explained, I don't respect people who do not evangelize. I don't respect them at all. If you believe there is a heaven, there is hell, and people, people could be going to hell and not getting eternal life or whatever you call, and you think it's not really worthy, worth telling them this just because it would make it socially awkward, how much do you have to hate someone to not evangelize? How much do you have to hate someone to believe everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? And then Penn offered this example to illustrate his point. If I believe beyond a shadow of doubt that a truck was come at you and you didn't believe it, that a truck was bearing down on you, there is a certain point that I would tackle you. And this is more important whether or not you believe I believe I would attack you. That's strong. But that's exactly what faith leads us to witnessing. We cannot keep to ourselves. We can't. An atheist understands. And again, the ground, we have a resource, the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 14 and the ultimate purpose is God's glory. And I would change John Piper's saying about mission. I would say evangelism exists because worship doesn't. Evangelism is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is not evangelism. So how would you, how are we going to respond to this? I think first we need to believe we should go before the Lord and, Lord, please, could you increase our faith? Could you cause us to put aside our preference and embrace your love for the lost? And just start giving small steps. I myself, I have said to my kids, can you give small steps to be part of the church right now? Right now. I know you haven't professed your faith yet, but could you give some small step? And my kids were like, what are you talking about? Could you just say hi for our visitors and, and be with them, especially those who are, we are bringing here? Could you, the kids, they need someone here. They, they, could you go along and help them to find the Sunday school, be with them, talk with them? 
but dad, I have my friends. My, my daughter said, okay, bring your friends along. Introduce them. You can do something. And I just remember one day, Junior, I said to Junior, could you take that guy and his wife home? They were visiting here, harvest, uh, to talk to deacons. And the next day, I got a message saying that the guy had got into some problem. He was in jail, and he was texting me, hey, can you pray for me, help? And my son was reading the text, and he said, Dad, are you kidding me? You asking me to take a criminal to our house? And I look at him and say, hey, don't you remember with whom Jesus was dying? He was dying with criminals. And suddenly he shut down and said, yes, Dad, you're right. There are small steps. Think about your outreach ministry right now. You can engage in your work. Pray to the Lord to give you opportunities. And he's going to put words in your mouth. So there is no barrier to the gospel. Our weakness and failures, my broke English, they present no barrier to the gospel. The Great Commission is failing not because of our weakness, but because of our unfaithfulness. So let's go before the Lord, believing and trusting. And he's going to do the work because the work belongs to him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we praise your name. Because salvation belongs to you and to you alone. For your glory alone. We are just vessels. Jars of clay. Cracked here and there. We are facing so many bangs and knocks down here and there, but because of the power of the gospel, we are still here. You are holding us all together. And through the cracks, you are shining your saving power and wisdom and the life of Jesus to others, O oh Lord. So would you increase our faith? Would you stir up our hearts would you change our affection, O oh Lord? Would you give us opportunity? It's small. Open up our eyes to see the small opportunities here inside the church. In our work, school. For your glory, O oh Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. So let's stand and respond to the Lord. By singing, take my life and let it be. That's how we should think about evangelism. Take my life and let it be.